Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent here with my co-host Sean Cheatham, and I almost completely forgot to play our uh, video. I started the live and then I went to the the brand part of the thing. I was like, whoa, we got to play our video. Uh -huh. um, so we're kind of scrambling around here today. Um, but please um, check out our blog. I'm going to do a little bit, a um, little bit different of a spiel here. Um, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. Um, I think I don't know. Did Travis release his newest article, Sean, on Saturday? Um, actually, I, I, he meant to, but now that I think about it, I don't remember seeing anybody comment on it. Okay, I'd have to talk to him after this. Or we're trying to update that weekly, so check that out. Um, also, check out the Ref the Society of Reformed Podcasters, which we are hosted on. Find some other good podcasts there. Um, also, if you're watching us on YouTube, um, hit the subscribe button. Also, like the video, share it. Um, and you can also share us on Facebook as well. Um, share the video to your friends and your groups. Um, but with that, we're going to dive into our topic this evening. Um, we're going to be continuing our series on an Orthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins. We are on chapter six. Uh, it's a very short chapter, only um, six, seven, uh, four questions, I think it is. Yep. Um, so this might be a shorter episode, but we'll see. Um, but it's it's called Chapter 6, The Second Part of Man's Redemption, the Sacraments. We're diving into um, talking about the sacraments and, and how those will apply to us. But we'll go ahead and dive into the questions. And Sean is up first for question 64 of the Catechism. All right, so question 64. Since faith alone makes us partakers of Christ and his benefits, where does this faith come from? Answer, from the Holy Spirit who kindles it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and other ordinances and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. So this is a question dealing with um, faith, the Holy Spirit, and then at the end, the, uh, the sacraments. Um, obviously, we, we're Calvinists, um, and we believe that it's ultimately God that produces faith, um, and he does that by means of the Holy Spirit. Um, some proof texts for this. Um, John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this birth, um, this birth is not from us. We don't cause ourselves to be born again. John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So it's not that we caused ourselves to be born again. He caused ourselves. He caused us to be born again. And um, an additional proof text that actually doesn't get talked a lot about in these discussions. Um, you normally have people go to Ephesians uh, two eight and nine, which I think teaches the doctrine that uh, faith comes from God and uh, is not self generated. Uh, but one that you don't hear nearly as much is uh, Philippians one twenty nine. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe, and that needs to get out of the way. Uh, there's something, word is glitching out on me and covering up. Uh, uh, for unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe, I think that's going to be a, but also to suffer for his sake. Um, so it's been granted, it's been given uh, to us that we would believe and, and also to suffer. Uh, but that that comes from God. We didn't we didn't 
have that of ourselves. Um, and then uh, continuing on with the answer, who kindles it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. That is the um, that is how faith comes to us. We don't receive faith apart from the gospel. Um, how, how could we? What would we be believing in? Um, you can't just have faith in a generic thing or something else. It has to believe, be faith in the gospel in order to be saving faith. And then there's this interesting um, uh, part of a clause here and other ordinances. And I was, I was, as I was preparing for this, I was trying to think what Collins meant by and other ordinances, because he then goes on and says, and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. So he's making a distinction here between these ordinances and sacraments, which is normally what I would have thought it meant uh, ordinances would have meant. So I actually, uh, I tried to look up a commentary on the Heidelberg, which this catechism is based on. And as far as I can tell, um, the Heidelberg Catechism doesn't have uh, the phrase and other ordinances in it. I looked up uh, two places online and neither of them had it in there. So I think this is something Collins himself decided to add in here. He must have felt it was important. So um, in trying to figure out uh, what he meant by this, it's always good to look at the proof text provided. Um, so I'll read Hebrews 4.16, which is one of the proof texts. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So what I think he's getting at here is actually um, prayer. Prayer is a means by with, uh, which um, faith is strengthened. Uh, it reminds me of Mark 9, 24, where you have the father of the child who's possessed by a demon approaching D Jesus. And um, during the conversation, he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And um, we, we might not immediately recognize this as a prayer, because normally when we think of prayer, we think of praying to the invisible God. But it, it is a prayer. It is a petition of the God-man who is, who is right there. Um, so I think what he's getting at there is, is prayer. We can pray to God to strengthen our faith, to increase our faith, and he will, he will do so. He is a good father. Um, he does not withhold from those who ask him for good things. So I think that's what's being gotten uh, there by Collins. And then we have, and confirms it by the use of the sacraments. So uh, the next question I had is uh, confirming it. What does that mean? So the it there is still faith. Um, so what does it mean to confirm it? Does that mean that confirms that the faith is true or strengthens the faith? And uh, biblically, I would say the sacraments do both. Um, although I think what he's probably getting at here is um, confirms it in the sense of uh, strengthens it. But uh, I'm, I'm, will, I'm open to correction on, on that uh, regard. But one of the proof texts provided is 1 Peter 3.21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and I do actually think this is a good proof text for uh, proving that uh, the sacraments are demonstrations of our faith, declarations of our faith in that sense. Baptism, we are, we are credo-baptists. Um, baptism is a declaration that we believe in Christ and desire to be united to him. Um, and then... 
Um, to, and uh, the use of the sacraments here confirming, um, confirming faith is not something that's apart from the gospel. As we said before, um, the gospel is the means by which faith is, um, faith is produced, but the uh, sacraments being visible representations of the gospel uh, presenting it to us in that visible form are, um, are uh, preaching the gospel in basically a different means. Um, yeah. Did you have any questions or thoughts about that, Dan? Um, no, I think it's interesting that he uses the <clears throat> term ordinances to describe things that he, he seems to be making distinction from sacraments. Um, like he, he lumps preaching in as an ordinance, but not as a sacrament. Yeah. So maybe the term ordinances there were added just to kind of talk about other graces that are used in worship that are not sacraments that are of themselves while limiting the sacraments to something distinct and, and very much limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be the case as we go on, in, like in question 67. But it, it's just interesting that he uses that term because I think when we think of ordinances, we tend to think of sacraments. Mm-hmm. Um and those things tend to be conflated, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. Not yeah, it doesn't look like that for Collins. I think an important characteristic of the sacraments is that they're picturing something. Baptism, picturing the immersion into Christ, picturing the death and burial and resurrection. Um, and then uh, the Lord's Supper being pictures of the body and blood of Christ mm-hmm. broken and shed for us. Whereas uh, something like prayer... Uh, it's it is a means by which grace comes to us, but isn't necessarily a picture of anything. It's just an action that we do. Uh, so yeah, that, at yeah, least that's tend to be more of a we would say a means of grace, um, mm-hmm. and we qualify that very carefully. But they are a means of grace in a sense. Um, but prayer is not a means of grace in the same way that those would be. It would, like you said, it it is gracious in that God gives us things through prayer. Um, but it it's not proclaiming the gospel message like the Lord's Prayer would be, or picturing the death in bap- uh, death of Christ in baptism. Or even, those are special and distinct and have very specific meanings apart from just a generic ordinance like prayer. Yeah. I actually like the I like the way he uses this distinction because I I think he's probably just trying to be very clear in what he means and not conflate these categories. He's trying to be very precise in his language. All right, question 65. Uh, what are the sacraments? Answer, they are sacred signs and seals set before our eyes and ordained of God for this purpose that he may declare and confirm by them the promise of his gospel unto us. To this, that he gives freely remission of sins and life everlasting to everyone, in particular, who believes in the sacrifice of Christ, which he accomplished before all men, uh, bef- I'm sorry, once for all upon the cross. And I think this kind of answers our discussion room for what he means by sacrament. It's something they're signs and seals. They're declaring the gospel to us. That's what they are, as opposed to civil ordinance, which is used uh, graciously of God to give good gifts to his people, but they don't do this. This is very specific in uh, what it's supposed to be doing. Um, although our um, our confession of faith, as we'll we'll talk about here in, in chapter 29, paragraph 1, it says that baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ uh, to be 
unto the partly baptized, a sign of his fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of his being engrafted to him, um, of remission of sins, and of giving up unto God uh, through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. Um, so it's ordinance, I think, in the sense that it's ordained of God, um, but it's also a sacrament here that we see because it does communicate that gospel message to us. It's a sign of Christ's death and his resurrection, and then we're being united to Christ in that death and resurrection. You know, Paul uses the language of um, of being united to Christ, like in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, where we're buried with him in baptism and then raised faith in christ we're identifying ourselves with christ um and that might have been colossians too but either way paul does talk about this and he identifies our uh baptism when we are baptized as really identifying ourselves with christ's death we're being crucified we're saying we're putting aside those former ways of our life um we're putting aside um those things that we once lived in and we're now saying we're going to live according um, to God. Um, and we see that uh, the sacraments were ordained by Christ. Um, a proof text that Collins gives, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, this is specifically talking about baptism. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you see here there is an ordinance that's given, but there's also the sacrament given, right? It's uh, baptism, which is the sacrament given. This is to be the regular practice of the church for believers, but they're also to teach. They're also to teach what Christ commanded. That would be an ordinance, preaching, right? Preaching and teaching the people of God to obey what Christ had laid out. So that's, um, I think, an example of that distinction uh, here. Uh, the Lord's Supper is also brought up by Collins. 1 Corinthians 10 uh, 16 is discussed uh, with regards to um, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we're participating in the body and blood of Christ in a, in a very uh, strict sense of the term. Um, and then we also see Christ laying out the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, uh, 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant um, or covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. So we see Christ ordaining these pictures and these signs of uh, what he was going to do and pointing to that gospel message that would uh, bring about salvation for the people of God. And, and Collins is very careful. He, he says he gives freely remission of sins and everlasting life to everyone in particular who believes in the sacrifice of Christ. So he's very careful that this is not a universal atonement that these don't represent universal salvation for all men, that these sacraments are very specifically for the people of God. Um, and that's very important uh, to keep in mind. But these things are ordained by our Lord, and that's really where the authority comes from. Christ, being the head of the church, ordained these things for the people of God to practice and to remember by. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance. It is a means of grace in that it, it communicates the gospel to us and that it communicates the gospel to potential unbelievers that might be in the church, um, that might be attending. Uh, so we are doing this in remembrance of our Lord, but we're preaching the gospel, and that's how grace is communicated in that sense uh, through the sign. Um, it's not merely uh, an empty symbol. Um, so 
that's really what the sacraments are. They are the ordinances that communicate the um, communicate the gospel unto us and communicate what Christ did. And they'll be practiced on a regular basis. Um, that's important too. Uh, baptism obviously is contingent upon uh, believers who, uh, making a profession in Christ and and being vetted by the church. Um, but the Lord's Supper is to be done on a regular basis. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's something that's to be continuously done. It's not something that we're to do um, only once in a while. Um, so, yeah, that's what the sacraments are. Um, and Sean's going to actually talk about in the next question, um, really what the end of those sacraments um, are. Uh, before Anything? we move on, yeah, yeah before we move on, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you did bring up a, an interesting point um, for the unbeliever that is partaking of the sacra uh, sacraments. We might think that they're a believer, but they're actually uh, mm. in their heart an unbeliever. Yeah. Um, the sacraments do not benefit them because their benefits mm. are be are um, uh, you partake of the benefits by faith. You partake of the sacrament by faith, and if you don't have that corresponding faith, um, there's it's it's useless to you. We don't believe. Mm that it's something about the baptism itself that's giving you grace apart from faith or the Lord's Supper that's giving you grace apart from faith. Um, it's, it's by faith that we partake of those things. And that's an important um, thing to remember. And then I was going to read this quotation um, in my section, but I think it's more relevant actually in your question about the sacraments, uh, Dan. I'm going to be quoting from someone who actually isn't very often quoted in this context. Um, William Tyndale from the complete works Ooh. of William Tyndale here. Yeah. Uh, I'm quoting for it. If um, I just, because I recently got this, uh, this as a gift and was excited to, you know, to, to use it here, but he does actually, he did actually write a, uh, a book on, or at least a, a, I guess it's long enough to be a book uh, on the use of the sacraments. So it was perfect for uh, tonight. Um, here you have see also that as the Hebrews wrote their stories in covenants and signs, giving their signs such names as could not but keep them in mind, so God the Father did follow the example of the people, or they following him, and commanded his promises, covenants, and prophecies to be written in gestures, signs, and ceremonies, giving them names that could not but keep his covenants in mind. Even so, Christ wrote the covenant of his body and blood in bread and wine, giving them that name that ought to keep the covenant into remembrance. So when we see God has ordained these things for us to see these, uh, to see these truths that he's proclaimed and keep them in remembrance. And that's important why we do do the, uh, that would, that would be why it's important that we do uh, the Lord's supper regularly um, because it's supposed to be keeping it in remembrance, Christ's sacrifice to keep it fresh in our mind. Obviously, if you're uh, if you're going to a faithful church that preaches on Christ's sacrifice every week, you're going to hear it too. But also, seeing the symbolism brings to mind a, a different kind of remembrance, or at least yeah, engages a, a different part. Yeah, of your brain. No, that's a good point. Um, with regards, you know, talking about the unbeliever. Paul's, Paul actually addresses that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 11, um, that if you uh, don't rightly eat the blood and bread of Christ, you know, examining yourself, and I think that's more than just simply um, a Christian examining themselves for their sin. I think it also includes those who 
examine yourself maybe to see if you're in the faith to some extent as you're taking the table because you're eating and eating and drinking judgment on yourself if you partake of it wrongly um so it, it's a serious matter it's not something to be taken like we're not just eating bread and wine and while it is um in a sense merely bread and wine it certainly has greater meaning than just simply eating a snack and oh, that's yeah. why you have to yeah and that's why you have to um examine yourself when you come to the table and and we have a solemnness and a reverence when we in a seriousness when we come to it and why our elders i know you know our elders at our church our pastor every sunday when we do the lord's table is he fences the table you know he's lays out qualifications for what every every sunday for what that looks like every time we do the lord's supper what who should partake of the table and to make sure people are examining themselves and coming to the table rightly because it is a serious matter um you are participating in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is no, that is not something to trivialize. Um, and in the spirit of it communicating something um, to the people of God and to those in the service, um, if you eat of it wrongly, you're really blaspheming Christ. You're, you're taking lightly those things that are being preached, right? And you're telling the world around you that you are really are a Christian, Right. Same thing when you're being baptized. You're you're saying I I identify with Christ. This is who I am. So it's not something to take lightly. Um, so yeah, we have to we have to be very careful when we approach uh, approach the table specifically because it's it has serious consequences if we don't. Yeah, First um, Corinthians ten sixteen. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Uh, this is not something to be treated lightly to be in communion with Christ. That's, that's, that should, Christ is holy and we should treat him as holy. Um, I know in, in modern American Christianity, the, the doctrine of the supper is, is low to the point where you were hearing things uh, over, um, over lockdown about, you know, you could um, partake of, of Zoom church and for communion, just find some, you know, grape juice or crackers or, or whatever, whatever elements and um, treating it trivially. Um, it, it the Lord's Supper is not a snack. It's not a it, it's it's a meal that represents Christ's death and his sacrifice for us. And if we if we appreciate that sacrifice, we should treat it with the reverence it deserves. Yeah, and and you know that passage you just read, uh, in context, Paul is talking about um, Christians participating in pagan feasts, right? If you're participating in a pagan feast, you are um, really identifying or participating in that paganism. It's not just merely a meal, right? And so he uses that example to refer to the Lord's table, that when you partake in the body and blood of Christ, you really are partaking in, in, in something that is significant and important and is religious by nature is something, and in this case is um, identifying with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So it's not something to be trivialized. You know, it's not, we can't just, you can't just walk into it and be like, oh, you know, I just, I just per- had some bread and wine, you know, it wasn't a big deal, guys. You know, I just walked up there. I didn't examine myself. Mm-hmm. I just kind of, it's just bread and wine, no big deal. 
of Paul saying, no, it's not. You are saying something by doing that. You are, and in this case, you are eating and drinking judgment mm -hmm. upon yourself. And if you participate in a pagan meal, it's the same thing as if you participate in the Lord's Supper. So mm -hmm. I just say that in passing. Yeah, whether you realize it or not, you are saying something when you when yep. you go up and partake. And um, it, it's good to know what it is that you're you're saying, what you uh, what it is that you're participating in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so moving on to uh, question sixty six, um, do not then both the word and sacraments tend to that end to lead our faith to the sacrifice of Christ? finish on the cross as the only ground of our salvation answer it is even so the holy spirit teaches us by the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that salvation of all of us stands in the once for all sacrifice of christ offered for us upon the cross so a couple proof texts for this given um galatians three twenty seven. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Romans uh, 6, uh, 3 through 4. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were baptized with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So this is, this is pointing to the fact that we've been baptized into Christ, into his death. And that means something. Um, this is um, this is this is important, and it uh, should um, strengthen our faith and point us to the only grounds of our salvation, which is Christ. And then um, moving on to the Lord's Supper. Uh, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "Take eat." This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So uh, as we've already been talking about, we're, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. We we believe in a in a messiah that uh died upon a cross bled out for us um and that's that's important and we're we're saying that we're partaking of that life-giving sacrifice uh in that and that should um that should be a means that uh does actually strengthen your faith looking at that and bringing to mind the last supper where christ knew what he was going to do and followed the father perfectly to that cross and um, died on our behalf. It should give us um, strength and comfort and just increase our faith just as a, a reminder of that. And then I wanted to quote uh, Tyndale again here real quick from the, the same book. Um, uh, is this the right spot? Uh, yes, I think so. Seeing then that, Man is so sick, so profane, and ready to fall, and so cruelly invaded when he hath sinned of the uh, of the fiend, the flesh, and the law, that he is oft put to flight and feared and made to run away from his father. Therefore hath the God of all mercy and infinite pity and bottomless compassion set up this sacrifice as a sign on a high hill, whence it may be seen on every side, afar and near, to call again them 
that be fled and run away. And with this sacrament, he, as it were, clucketh to them as a hen doth for her chickens to gather them under his wings of mercy and hath commanded his sacrifice or sacrament to be in continual use to put them in mind of mercy laid up for them in Christ's blood and to witness and to testify it to them and to be the seal thereof. So this, this sacrament, according to Tyndale, and I would agree, um, is to remind us of the mercy that's in Christ by reminding us of the sacrifice of Christ, that he died for all our sins, past, present, and future. So when we've had a terrible week and we have sinned grievously, sins that we should have known better, that why did I go back to that? I knew better. Why did I do that? Rather than shying away, um, because we're, we're all inclined to be like, oh, my sin is, my sin is so great. Um, I need to work work this off. I need to make myself better before I go back and, you know, in church and can worship. I feel so guilty if I were to go there. The, the sacrament is a reminder to them, no, Christ paid that paid for that already. You can immediately come to the Father in faith and repentance, and you do not need to worry about that. Uh, the weekly, uh, the weekly um, administration of the Lord's Supper is a reminder to that. Um, to keep us strong in the faith and remembering we don't need to work for our salvation. Christ has already done it. Yes. Amen. Amen. That is one of the, the awesome things about doing it every week, right? We're not only do we hear, um, we hear the gospel preached at the end of every sermon, but it's also, we get to see it in the table and be refreshed. It really is a time of renewal. It's, um, it's a reminder uh, for what, like you said, what Christ died for us, he paid for our sins. And it, it gives us also a chance to repent of those sins that we, we've done in the week or the day. And we come fresh and anew afterwards be, and, and ready to take on the week because we've been forgiven and we can bring our sins to Christ um, at the table. It, it's just a, it's a visible reminder. And I do appreciate, you know, there's, there's debate on how often the Lord's Supper should be be done um you know it's common i think among reformed baptist circles to do the once a month thing um you know and this isn't meant to bash them or anything but i think that i think they're missing out by doing it once a month um i i don't think you can find a very good biblical argument to um to back up doing it once a month i think the regular um institution of it is what the bible teaches and, and i think we see clearly from the new testament church that they did this when they met every week um this was some this was a normal weekly practice for them but be that as it may i, I think that having it weekly is refreshing and it really does help us to um to really have the proper mindset when we're coming uh, to the gospel and just visibly preaching and, and feeding the people as much as we can. I think that um, that is very helpful. I, I know it's it gets us in the right frame of mind. It's not we're not just leaving the sermon and you know that's it. We, we're done. We go we go at our church. We have a fellowship meal pretty much every every Sunday. We put that on pause for a little bit, but you know it's not just oh we finish up we go fellowship. It's okay now we're going to come to the table and remember what we've heard in the sermon what God has preached us in his word. We've heard the gospel preached and then we come to the table and we can really, in a sense, apply that practically and apply the gospel practically 
in that we're taking of the table and that we're applying it to ourselves and in, in hopefully that we're eating it rightly. I, mm-hmm. I just think there's a, there's a lot of benefit in doing that. Um, it, it's just, it, it is a blessing um, to be able to do that on a weekly basis. Amen. All right. Now our final question here. Um, question 67, how many sacraments has Christ ordained in the new Testament? Answer two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> and this is actually consistent with our confession of faith. Um, chapter 28, paragraph one, baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances of positive and sovereign institution appointed by the Lord Jesus, the only lawgiver to be continued in his church to the end of the world. <clears throat> and the, the confession only points to the Great Commission and 1 Corinthians 11 as evidences that uh, these are the only two sacraments that are to be given, and, and I would agree that these are the only two sacraments um, that have been given. Although the interchangeability of the word ordinances in the confession and, and in some places, I think, can lend to some confusion, but um, I think that these are the two that we see biblically. And we've already seen that these are sacraments because of the, the nature of what they are. They, they present the gospel. They're very, they're special in their application than things such as preaching or prayer um, that really they have commonality in that sense in our sacraments by virtue of that. Um, but what's interesting, historically, um, and I was talking about Sean with this before the episode, um, Benjamin Keach, who was one of the signers of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, um, actually had some differing views on this. Um, it wasn't some kind of monolithic view necessarily um, with regards to this. Um, in the Reformed Theology of Benjamin Keach, 1640 to 1704 on page 103, <clears throat> the author notes, said, quote, thus, Keach could and did speak of prayer, ordination of ministers, preaching, and even excommunication as ordinances, in addition to the two most commonly identified among the Reformed churches, baptism and the Lord's Supper, end quote. I think there, you know, we can see that the, the reform, uh, the reformers were not necessarily, and those in, this, in the, the more Protestant side of the reformers were not, um, or the Baptist side were not monolithic necessarily in their view of what these things um, were. Um, and, there, and it seems that this may have caused some tension among the churches as well. Um, but I, I think it's clear biblically that we can see that baptism and the Lord's Supper really are the two ordinances that have been laid out. They both have the commonality of the gospel being presented in a way that is special. Um, they're ordained by Jesus Christ. That's very important. Um, and that's something that we see in our confession here, that they're instituted by Christ. And because of that, they are to be used um, and they're to be used in worship. They're part of worship. They're not something um, that we just do, you know, like Sean said, uh, the, he was bemoaning the, um, the, the COVID situation with churches where they're talking about having communion, people having communion on their own with essentially whatever they can find um, and not really seeing them as being ordained by Christ and in the context of the local church, which the Great Commission would have been uh, given to given to the apostles, and then their authority is handed down through elders, right? And and so that means that commission is to be carried out by local church that holds the keys of the kingdom, and that would mean baptism, Lord's Supper, those those sacraments of worship that are to be handled by the church and the church alone, um, held in the elders, because again the apostleship 
authority was vested into the eldership um, as the apostles were passing off the scene. So it, it's important to understand those ecclesi- that ecclesiology because it can help us to, to not fall into, into these errors. Um, these sacraments are to be done within the local church and are instituted by our Lord. And that's part of the regulative principle of worship, too. And interestingly, this was an argument that was used against paedo-baptism with regards to, um, you know, to baptism. It, it's not ordained by Christ. Christ didn't ordain infant baptism, but he ordained baptism. So, you know, from a regular principle perspective, you're not being very consistent. Um, so it's important to remember that as we um, look at these things such as sacraments. Sacraments are part of worship. They're instituted by Christ. And as being consistent with the the regulative principle, which Scripture does teach that um, God gets to decide what we do in worship and that we're not to move outside the bounds of that, um, that would fall into the category of the sacraments as well. Um, so it's very important when we when we approach these things that we come at with through, looking at it through that lens. The authority of Christ as the head of the church gets to define what we do in worship. And that's no less applicable here with the ordinances uh, than it is with any other part of worship. And I do want to make a clarification um, with what I said earlier about um, people essentially not during COVID, um, people grabbing whatever that they could find. Um, The elements themselves are not as important as the message that's being communicated. So I could see a context where um if for some reason there was a um disruption of wine or something in in your region and you were using something else as a substitute i wouldn't say that that was necessarily you know inappropriate to do but it's more so the the lackadaisical attitude towards the elements that i felt was being presented during that time it's like oh it, it doesn't really matter uh well no these were these were assigned for a reason. They have significance. The wine looks like blood, bread, reminds us of the, the broken body. These things are important. And also that another element of communion is, you know, that you're communing with the church. It's a, it's a corporate act in that sense. Um, and to be alone in your home is not, not the same. Yeah, yeah, even going back to 1 Corinthians 11, they were eating. It was really like a feast in a sense. Yeah, they yeah. They were treating it. I, I, let, me, let me be careful what I say. They were treating it like a feast and getting drunk and, you know, biting and groveling over food and stuff. They were turning the Lord's Supper into a feast. But the point being that they were in communion and together. And it was a, it was a common communal act that they were doing. It wasn't something that you were sitting in your home doing and... um and in doing by yourself apart from the community of the church. No, mm-hmm. no, that that's foreign to the new Testament, foreign to the new Testament. All right. Anything else you want to add, Sean? I think I'm good. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us this evening. Um, definitely been a shorter episode, but hopefully it's been beneficial as we talk about, you know, talked about the sacraments. Um, hopefully we're, Nearing the end of uh, an Orthodox Catechism, I think we have three or four more chapters more to go. Um, but next week we will be—we won't be having an episode this upcoming Saturday on the 16th. But on the 23rd, we'll be coming back and we're going to be doing a, a review of Jeff Johnson's new book on Thomas Aquinas. Um, so be sure to look out for 
that invitation as it comes out um, and join us next week. And I'd encourage you if, you know, as we're talking about these difficult issues next week, feel free to put questions in um, in the chat uh, so we can, you know, comment on Facebook or YouTube and we'll be able to see that. And we can maybe try to field any questions that you have um, about the topics that we're discussing. Um, but join us next week on the 23rd as we talk about Jeff Johnson's new book. Um, but with that, uh, everyone have a great evening. And Lord willing, we'll see you on the 23rd. Take care. God bless.